Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Is it working? I am Than Bennett. I'm sitting in for Bill Arnold on the afternoon show today, and that is the question that we are going to talk about this hour. Is it working? And if I'm going to be very honest with you, this is actually a question that sits at and has been sitting at the foundation of a number of different decisions in my life. And it's a it's a question that's rooted in a number of uh, scriptural concepts, to be sure. But I would offer, for the context of this conversation that we're going to have, Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. That passage tells us that a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree, bad fruit. It also tells us that we can we can discern for ourselves what is good and what is not by the fruit that is produced from a given action. And so I have been really intentional lately about growing in the habit of being, I would say, brutally honest with myself in answering this question around various aspects of my life. Is it working? Is the fruit that is being produced by a a set of decisions that I will make or a set of actions or my affiliations, are those things producing the fruit that God desires? And to be very honest with you, this exercise has been very, very helpful for me in determining what it is that our family sets our hands to, what we set our time to, and then in turn, what we set aside. And my guest this hour is actually going to help us uh, ask and answer that question in a very specific and very important context. He is Ken Brady, and I'm going to introduce him to you in just a moment here. But here is Ken's version of that question in the critical context of spiritual discipleship, uh, discipleship in our church communities. He writes this. He writes, a church without discipleship is just a gathering. And he suggests that pastors and church leaders should be asking this question. How do we know if what we are doing is working? So for those of you who are listening from a place of church leadership, Ken is going to help you ensure that your discipleship efforts are hitting the mark. And then for the rest of us, those of us who maybe aren't in church leadership, Ken is going to help us understand what we need to be seeking out as we ourselves our disciples. And so no, no matter where you're at on that spectrum, I want to encourage you to enter the conversation, eager to learn from Ken's experience and to make choices around discipleship that are as effective as they can possibly be. And ultimately answer that question, is it working and ultimately produce good fruit? So let me introduce you to Ken and let's get him on the air. Ken Brady is the director of Sunday School for Lifeway Christian Resources. Ken has served three churches as a discipleship pastor, and he has spent more than 30 years equipping pastors and church leaders to develop flourishing Sunday school and small group Bible studies. He has authored or compiled several books on the topic, including the one that we are discussing today, which is titled Breakthrough, Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success. So in my way of speaking, sort of my vernacular, he's going to help us answer that question, is it working? 
Ken and his wife of 35 years, Tammy, have two grown sons, one daughter-in-law, and two grandchildren. Ken, I am so delighted you'd give us some time today. Welcome to the afternoon show. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, it is a joy and a privilege to be here uh, with both you and your listeners. Looking forward to this hour. We are so grateful that you are here, and we're talking about a critically important topic. Um, if we're not being discipled at church, then it is just a gathering. I, I think you expressed that well, and you're going to help us with that. But let's get to know you a little bit more first. Tell us about your family. Um, tell us how you came to this point in life. Uh, I, I, re I read your bio, and I think you know, 30 years is a long time to devote to equipping pastors around discipleship. So tell us a little bit about what led you to this path. Yeah, I really honestly probably shouldn't be <clears throat> shouldn't be here where I am because I came from a home where uh, my father uh, did not attend church. Uh, he didn't really have an interest in church. And so I was raised, my sister and I were both raised by a mom uh, who had been led to the Lord as a nine-year-old girl, third grade, uh, out in West Texas in Abilene. And uh, that teacher discipled her, loved her through those junior high and you know high school years and on into college. And um, you know, when mom and the marriage, uh, didn't make it, um, she still made sure that we were in church on Sundays and, uh, you know, going to Bible study was not an option. Uh, you know, if we had, uh, you know, sun, rain, snow or whatever it, we were going. And, uh, and I'm very thankful that mom's uh, faith in the Lord was strong, uh, during some very difficult days. And it was there, honestly, that, uh, I was, you know, taught and discipled by, you know, just some wonderful men and women over the years helped me understand the scripture, helped me memorize some scripture, helped me figure out, you know, the order of the books of the Bible and those kinds of things. And then uh, mom, you know, made sure we were at uh, vacation Bible school and summer camps and those things. But I really developed an appreciation uh, for uh, my mother and, and honestly, you know, parents that sometimes uh, struggle, uh, you know, married, but maybe functionally single or, you know, even just single, it's hard uh, to make sure that your family's staying on that faith pathway. Uh, but I'm thankful that mom did because ultimately, uh, right after I got married, uh, my wife and I got very involved in a local church. We wanted to start the marriage right. Uh, you know, so we were there when the doors were opened. And um, it was not too long after that, that I sensed a call to ministry and didn't really know what that meant at the time, other than I knew that God wanted to do something with my life. But I really knew from the outset that I did not want to be a senior pastor, a lead pastor. And so as I you know, sought counsel from my then pastor and some others, I realized that uh, I think what God had done in me and, and, and was doing through me, uh, my passions were in group ministry because the people that, you know, kind of, I'm going to air quote here, raised me uh, in church, <clears throat> excuse me, and were group leaders to me. Uh, really made a tremendous impact on my life. And I'm not sure I'd be where I am today, you know, without their contributions and, uh, you know, their uh, interest in me as a person. And so uh, I think that's where my love for groups comes from. And uh, and so it's, you're right, it's been a three-decade uh, journey. I'm not done yet. I'm hoping the Lord gives me another uh, 10 years of full-time uh, work and service before I think about retiring. So it's been, you know, part of the DNA of, of Ken Ratty. So, 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 you know, for so many years. So I'm thrilled that I get to do what I do. 
I appreciate that so much. I especially appreciate the the back uh, drop there with your upraising. Ken, um, my wife and I are proximate to a bunch of foster situations. And I will just tell you, single moms, single parents, foster parents, adoptive parents, the, uh, I, I would focus in especially on, on single moms because it's, it's a, such a frequent situation. Some of the greatest heroes, both in the church and in the broader world. And so I'm grateful for you uh, sharing that part of your story. I want to jump in to uh, to this. I, I think, Ken, that probably most of us as Jesus followers would say that spiritual formation and the development of spiritual formation is you know, a very important part of being a follower of Jesus. And yet, according to some of the research that, uh, that backs up uh, the book that you wrote, uh, less than half of churched adults feel that spiritual formation is a part of their church experience. And so more than half of us who go to church feel that that isn't happening in our church. And so I think that's a I think it's a pretty strong sign that something in our churches isn't right, something that our churches is are, are doing is not working. And so I want to start there. Lay that foundation for us. What's going on and what is, I don't know if broken is the right word, but what's not working in our churches right now? Well, I can I can say from, you know, a number of years of experience and just kind of watching the church and uh, and having been on several church staffs. And I'm a brute for punishment. I'm back on a fourth one right now. My uh, my church lost its uh, discipleship pastor back uh, the week of Thanksgiving last year. And so I've stepped into that role, trying to provide some leadership uh, at our church uh, right here in central uh, middle Tennessee. And uh, and I, I would say that, you know, when it comes to church, I'm just I wonder if if we have maybe um, oh, I'm going to be careful about how I say this. H- have we possibly, uh, you know, punted the ball to the church? And said, you know, here, do it all. Uh, we're we're going to show up. Here's the kids. Here's our students. Fix them. It's almost like dry cleaning. You know, I take a a wrinkle shirt in. I come back in two days, and it's nice and pressed, and it looks like a brand new shirt. And it's almost like you know, people want to bring uh, their families to the church and have us fix things. And you know, we're we're about that. You know, but that's a long process. You know, it's a lifelong process, and it's not a fast process. And so I'm just wondering that. You know, it, it, could it be that we could be doing much more uh, in our families? And I point the finger at myself as I look back. You know, I raised two sons, and uh, I just wonder now, boy, if I had if I had really understood it differently back then, uh, I wonder how I might have changed my my spiritual parenting of my kids. I think we would have done more in the home, uh, and let that be more of a centric place, you know, for discipleship. Uh, to happen, because I think that's how the Lord intended it. You know, you see uh, families in both testaments. You know, you see people in both testaments, and their faith uh, feels like you know they started right there in the home, and you had leadership there. Uh, it was not the home that I grew up in, and so I feel like that affected me, and probably negatively affected me, and my ability to be uh, the kind of a disciple-making parent that I should have been. If I, it's one of those things. You know, I'm a golfer. And so, you know, we use the term uh, mulligan, which just means a redo. And it's one of those, I kind of wish I had a mulligan on that one, to be honest. I do more, I think, at home and not ask the church to do so much for my kids and for my family. 
It's such a great point. And, uh, you know, while that ownership does need to happen at home, we also need to be able to measure uh, whether or not our church programs or our church efforts or church ministries are working. And I know this book is intended to sort of do that. It's intended to be a scorecard, a, a measuring stick. And I know that you have used it in a lot of churches. And so I'm wondering if you could share some of those experiences with us. But along with that, I wanted to ask the the metrics question, because, yeah. you know, the, the obvious thing to do, right, is if the Sunday school program's growing, then it must be working, right? That's sort of the natural assumption. But w- I wonder if you could give us a correct metrics. What metrics should churches be looking at? And maybe just share some of the successes and or failures you've had implementing some of these ideas. Yeah, great. Uh, a great question about that. So, um, the book basically uh, encourages groups and group leaders to think about uh, a, a more holistic view of their ministry than just numbers. There is no doubt that in a pre-COVID world, uh, if you ask somebody, you know, how's your group ministry going? The default, uh, the natural default was to how many people, you know, how many bottoms are in seats. And that can be a measure of, of health and vitality and success, you know, on one hand, but I also know from experience that sometimes big things aren't healthy things. You know, uh, you can see that uh, with people, you know, it's just uh, a fact of life. And so just because, you know, you've got a big ministry uh, or you've got a big group, maybe you're a group leader, you got a lot of folks that uh, come to your, uh, you know, to your Bible study doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's a healthy group. And so Lifeway did a major research project uh, about four or five years ago. Um, and, and we discovered, I mean, it was, it was the largest research project in North America at the time. I think it still is on discipleship. And, um, what we discovered were, um, uh, we called them different things over the years, but right now I, I, we're calling them signposts, you know, that a person, uh, a group, uh, is on the right pathway and that they are growing as disciples. And, uh, and we found that there were like eight, eight different, uh, you know, optics or eight different metrics uh, that we could look at that bubbled up in the research. And, uh, and that was one of those things that I was just sharing uh, yesterday and today with a group of disciple making uh, leaders down in Alabama at a gathering there in Birmingham. And we walked through those eight things. And I said, you know, look, if you don't see these eight signposts in your people or in you, then it's up to you, the group leader, to do things to introduce uh, your people uh, to these eight signposts or to introduce them to activities or other things that will help them uh, you know, grow in all eight of these. And so uh, one of them is engaging with scripture. And in, and in this survey and in others, that absolutely is the, uh, the number one uh, metric that that when we see a growing disciple, they're engaging with Scripture daily, and uh, there's just no way around it. It's been that way in several large, large surveys, and um, and so as a group leader, you know, I'm constantly listening uh, and and wanting to know how my people are engaging in the Word between Sundays, because at least in my view, discipleship it just it shouldn't take a shouldn't take a week off you know and so mm-hmm. uh, i want to make sure that uh, that we're putting something in front of our people uh that helps them to stay connected uh in the word throughout the week and at lifeway we call them personal study guides you know we create those for a variety of our uh big uh sunday school small group curriculum lines and so we want to give them a tool uh to help them understand and unpack scripture um 
something else, you know, that bubbled up in the research is that uh, growing disciples obey God and deny self. And, uh, and probably the radio show is not long enough for us to, you know, fully get into all of these things. But uh, you asked about an example of, uh, you know, from, from church life. Well, one of the other eight uh, characteristics is that we are uh, serving God and others. And so when I began to introduce these kinds of, uh, these kinds of new ideas and metrics about thinking about the health of a group, um, I challenged our group leaders. I said, you know, what are you doing to serve both in the church, your group inside the church, because the church has needs, but also how are you leading your group to serve in the community and meet some needs out in the community? And one of the greatest things that I ever saw happen from that is with a group of senior adults, they came to me and they said, okay, so that's one of the things you want us to to work on, uh, I said, absolutely. It's a measurement of discipleship, and it's one of the big four things that you know we're asking groups to do. And they said, uh, do you care what we do in the community? And I said, I really don't, but I would love to know what you're going to do. I'd love to support it, you know, if we can. Well, they went out and they adopted a uh, a, a ministry in Grapevine, Texas, uh, called Grace uh, Outreach Ministry, and uh, and part of that was they cared for ladies who were on the run from an abusive husband or boyfriend. And a lot of times they just had a suitcase or the clothes on their back. The lady needed some job skills. And so uh, our, that, that particular class, just they adopted one of those ladies at a time as she went through the program. And then at the end of the program, uh, this particular group uh, on the final day before she graduated and left, had a little party for her at the apartment that was provided by the ministry. And uh, they adopted about four or five of these ladies in a row. And every single one of those ladies received a new car from this group. It was Whoa. wild. I know. That's what I said to you. Now, they weren't brand new cars, but they were like maybe two or three years old. Yeah. But the guys in the class just went nuts and they put new tires on them, you know, tuned up what they could, what they couldn't. They had it done at a, you know, an auto shop. And so they gave her something that was very roadworthy. They loved doing that. They helped them, you know, outfit their apartments and things. And they just caught the joy of serving other people. And, uh, and it was not until we said, look, this is one of those things our groups must be doing to make a difference in the world, the community, uh, until we said that, and we kind of gently pushed them that way, uh, there was nothing going on. It was all about Sunday morning. It was all about nine to noon, uh, on a Sunday morning. And they weren't thinking about living out the faith, you know, in between Sundays. And so that was one of those great things that happened. We loved seeing that uh, take place. That's so good, Ken. I love that. We're, we're going to take a short break here, but I love it when God echoes. We had a conversation last hour about being saturated with Scripture. And so when you started that answer by saying one of the best metrics for measuring success of small groups is engaging with Scripture, I think it's just a reminder for those who are listening. This is something that God is saying to you today. We need to be saturated in Scripture. We need to be engaging with Scripture. And that really needs to be the foundation as we walk through our daily lives. Uh, my guest is Ken Brady. His book is Breakthrough, Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success. I'm going to ask him about the importance of small groups and Sunday school-like settings. When we come back after this break, I'm Than Bennett in for Bill Arnold on the Afternoon Show, and we'll be back with more right after this.
Anne texted me, and then we had a conversation on the phone. She's 86 years old, and her husband, Bob, is 96. She listens to the podcast every single day, and she gets a lot of encouragement for her walk of faith in the midst of a life that has grown difficult and weary in many ways. Anne has a faith radio story, and so do you. If faith radio is a part of your daily journey with God, we'd love to hear your story. Share how God is using Faith Radio to encourage you and help you grow at MyFaithRadio.com. And who knows, maybe Anne will hear your story and be encouraged as well. The book is Breakthrough, Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success, and the author is Ken Brady. He's my guest today on the afternoon show. I'm Than Bennett sitting in for Bill Arnold. Uh, Ken, one of my favorite verses for communicating to others the purpose for which we were created is Isaiah 43, 21. And it says, the people I formed for myself that they might proclaim my praise. And so in, in other words, we were created for God's glory, but we were created for God's glory in the context of relationship with him. We are relational beings. And that really, I think, sits at the foundation of why something like a small group is so important because it gives us an opportunity to live out and to exercise and to grow in that relational design. And I just think there are, I think there are certain aspects of spiritual growth and discipleship that really need that small group focus uh, or dynamic maybe to, to flourish. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to some of those components. Why are Small groups and Sunday like uh, Sunday school like settings, those small relational settings. Why are they so important to this discipleship we're talking about? Okay, that's a another great question, and uh, I think I've got a pretty good answer for you on that one. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about uh, about why why groups. You know, not just the what of groups like we've got them. But why should you even invest time in a group? And I have the privilege of leading our uh, new member class at our church. And it's one of the first things we talk to uh, talk to the new prospective members about is that if you're going to come and, and join our church, uh, if you're going to just you know choose to come to worship only, you're going to be missing out on, honestly, you know, some of the best parts of our church, uh, in group ministry, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off a few things here pretty quickly uh, about, you know, why it's important, why groups are, are foundational. I'm going to start just by going back to the new Testament, the book of Acts chapter two, uh, mm-hmm. we see that the disciples were uh, preaching in the temple courts. That's plural. And so, uh, the temple had multiple courts. Uh, you probably had multiple disciples in each of the courts and they were proclaiming Jesus. You had massive crowds of people, but it also tells us right there in that same verse, but they also gathered in homes. They were, you know, they were house to house and they broke bread together and they fellowshiped and they prayed and they, you know, sold possessions and, and gave it to the apostles. And so, uh, if, if pre public preaching was, you know, completely enough, then I don't think we would see the small group component there in the New Testament church. But in God's wisdom, we have both. We've got that large group gathering where the word is being proclaimed, but we also have that more intimate gathering where we can uh, you know, know one another, but we can also ask questions of the text or, you know, what did that preacher say? And how does that relate to my life? And so, you know, there's a, a New Testament foundation for groups in the first place. But here's what the research tells us. Uh, the people that are in Bible study groups 
are absolutely having their spiritual growth propelled by being in a group. And uh, we know from some other research done uh, for the the book, The Shape of Faith to Come, another 2,500 person survey, that's massive. Mm-hmm. And what was what, what came out in that research was uh, that there were three top things that people did to help propel their spiritual growth. One was that regular reading of the Bible. It's, it comes out number one in all those surveys. It's the absolute best thing we can do as believers. Number two was participating in the corporate worship gathering of our church. And number three was regular involvement in a Bible study group. And thankfully, two of those three happen in most of our churches You know, on, on a Sunday. So uh, groups propel spiritual growth. We also know that people who are in Bible study groups they serve at a higher percentage than people that are just coming to the church's worship service. We also know that people that are in Bible study groups, they give more financially to the church. They're more uh, committed with their pocketbook. They, they understand the principle of sacrifice and tithing and beyond the tithe and you know joy giving and things like this. Uh, as compared to people that are just coming to uh, the worship service. But then we also know that people, and I think this is really one of the big ones. This is why I told the guys in Alabama uh, yesterday. Uh, one of the, the greatest reasons to have people in Bible study groups is that they are assimilated into the church at a higher rate than people that are not in a group. So watch this. When Dr. Rayner was our president at Lifeway, he did lots of writing, lots of research. And uh, in uh, one of his books, High Expectations, he uh, cited research that he and Lifeway had done. And if you had 100 people that were at your church, you know, they just got dropped off and they had a choice to make. I'd come to worship only, or I would come to worship and then get involved in a Bible study group. Look down the quarter of time, five years, how many of those 100 are still around? Here's what the research demonstrated. If a person only chose to come to the worship service in five years, you could only find 16% of them. Hmm. But if a person said, I'm coming to big church and I'm going to go to a small group, you could find 83% of those people still involved, regular, active in the church in those five years or at the end of five years. So that to me is one of the most compelling reasons for people to be in a Bible study group, because if, especially for adults, if they're there, that means their teenagers and their their yeah. kids are most likely in a group too, and that's great. They don't have to grow up like you know I did with a father, you know that was not uh, interested in spiritual things. Um, I think that that is another you know just a great reason uh, for that. But also, um, I, I think another. I'll just wrap up this part of it with with this last thought is that um, there are there are a lot of people out there that uh, don't believe that they need to be in a group necessarily. Southwestern Seminary did a, a big research study. And again, another 2,500-person study in 2019. So it's just real, you know, pre-pandemic. And they they asked or they made this statement and asked people to respond. The statement was, um, I can walk with God without other believers. And they asked them to respond to it. Here is the scary thing, then. Two-thirds of these people, and these are not man and woman on the street. This is church going people. So two thirds, 65%. So I'm going to round up one percentage point. 65% of those people said that they strongly agreed or agreed with that statement. Mm. I think it's higher, probably post COVID, 
because we learned how to do it, you know, online so good uh, during COVID years. And so um, why groups? It's because not everybody believes that they need a group, but we know they need a group. You know, back in Genesis 2.18, God said in the creation story, it's not good for man to be alone. It's just, it's not. We have this hole that we need to fill, not just with God, but, but God created us for relationships. And those are going to happen, not in the worship service as we sit on a row looking at the back of somebody else's head. It's going to happen in a group, probably in a circle, as we're looking at other people's faces and doing life together. Does that make sense? Totally. I was actually uh, chuckling as you were answering, um, as you were quoting Genesis, because that's what I wrote down. It is not good for man to be alone. It's sort of the bookend to uh, what Isaiah says about why we were created. We were created for relationship with our God, but we were also created for relationship with his created with each other. And so I, I so appreciate that. We're, we're going to take a short break and come back, but just, just want to underscore this point for everyone out there listening as well. Ken was talking about modeling for your family, uh, corporate worship, and being in a, a small group or a Bible study, I, I find that to be true for the for the first uh, reason that he gave as well, or the most important thing for a relationship with Jesus, which is daily Bible reading. I, I, I have three kids, 15, 13, and 11, and I will tell you, them understanding that their mother and I spend regular time in the Bible is maybe the most important gift and the mo- most important thing that we could model for them. So Ken mentioned reading the Bible, corporate worship, and small group, three great places to make sure that we are plugged in and deepening our walk with Jesus Christ. When we come back from the break, I'm going to ask Ken about pastors and also how those who are in the pews, us, how do we apply the concepts of this book? Again, the book is Breakthrough, Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success, written by my guest, Ken Brady, and we will be back with more with Ken right after this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's James 3, 1, and I would say it is a is a wonderful privilege and a, and a blessing to lead and to be a spiritual guide and to draw others into deeper relationship with Jesus, but it's also a responsibility that should be treated reverently. And our conversation today with Ken Brady is helping us with that. He's the author of the book, Breakthrough, Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success. And Ken, I wanted to ask you about that. A couple of questions actually maybe about pastors, but it's obviously a privilege and an honor to lead people spiritually. You have done so now for many, many years, but it can also be a weighty calling and and pastors carry a lot. So, um, what do you say to yourself or what do you say to fellow pastors in this regard? How how do you stay filled up so that these metrics we're talking about, these services, these ministries, you can be prepared uh, to administer them? How do you do that? Well, that is a, another great question. I say that uh, it, it involves basically uh, a mindset. It requires a moment uh, in life of a decision that you're going to, you know, on the human side of things, you know, make your best effort to make sure that you have carved out that time, especially for pastors, the daily time of, of being in the word. Again, we keep coming back to that then, but it is so important. It's what Jesus did. I mean, you can look in all four Testaments, I'm sorry, four Testaments, uh, the New Testament, the Gospels, the four books, and uh, and you'll see Jesus rising early in the morning, going to solitary places. 
and and being alone with his heavenly father and it's so easy honestly to in a in a busy world uh, with you know appointments and hospital visits and people that need our time and those things to to skip that or to say hey i'm going to i'll do that later in the day but we know how that goes uh, things crowd out the calendar and then we'll, we'll do it tonight before we go to sleep and then we're tired and so i've been there and and it's not it's not a great way to try to lead long term and so I, I think you'll find that a lot of folks that that flame out and don't stay the course uh, in ministry uh, are those that have somehow just let that that quiet time with the lord uh, slip away from them and it just requires intentionality to say i'm marking this time this is holy time it's precious time and this is god in me time and so i cannot give that up because if I do, there's a danger that I might have to give up my ministry. And so we don't want to be in that spot. So then I would say it all starts with that, that intentionality uh, on the part of that person, the pastor. Yeah, such great counsel. You know, if you're constantly giving out, and I know uh, that really should be all of our existence, right? Ministering for the Absolutely. gospel of Jesus Christ. But a pastor has that 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 burden uh, so constantly that filling up personally is so important. Let me ask you a follow up about pastors, but also want to apply it to those sitting in the pews. Uh, mm-hmm. My assumption. Ken, is that this book is primarily for pastors and church leaders to sort of use the scorecard uh, to assess their ministry. But I also think there's a lot to be gleaned here from those of us who are searching out this kind of discipleship, right? So maybe speak to both of those. What what is a pastor going to get from this book? And then what is somebody like me who's sitting in the pews going to get from it? Great question again, Than. So I know why you do what you do, right? So uh, the book is basically built in four sections because I have told group leaders uh, for the last three decades, your group uh, needs to do four things really well. And uh, attendance is not necessarily one of them. I mean, we want good attendance. It's an indicator that there's health and, and you know life and growth. But uh, we don't want to camp out on, on the attendance uh, and make that king. And so uh, what I've told them is you, you, there are four things you do, and I built it around the, a life acrostic. So every one of these uh, four things uh, starts with the word or the letter L, I, F, and E. The first one then is we have to learn and obey God's word. Let me just give you the four, and I'll come back and unpack real quick. Mm-hmm. The second one is to invite people to become disciples. It's another way of saying evangelism. Number three is the F, and that's to form deeper relationships. And the E is to engage in acts of service, uh, both individually and as a group. And so when we see those four things happening, you're going to find a fairly healthy uh, group, and and they're going to do good things for not just the church, but they're going to do good things for the people in the groups that will help propel them down the road of discipleship. Uh, They should look and think and act and talk more like Christ. If the groups are doing these four things, it's really about balance. And it's about making sure that all of these things are simultaneously going. It's like having four plates spinning at the same time. Does that make sense? It totally does. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned balance because I forgot about this. I wanted to ask you about that, actually. But let me let me make sure I got it. I got the I, F, and E, invite people, form deeper relationships, engage in acts of service. What was the L? L is learn and obey God's word. And uh, we could say, you know, I almost said, you know, learn God's word. That would That would work. But I wanted to make sure that uh, it's not just academic type learning then that, 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 we're, that we're in the Bible 
understanding, you know, the different books, the different authors, purposes for writing, how the book fits into the, you know, the grand 66 book narrative of the Bible. And, uh, and, and Jesus, even in the great commission, uh, said, uh, teach them to obey all that I've learned, uh, all that I've taught, not just, Hey, teach them the things that I've taught you, but teach them to obey. And so uh, I don't want group leaders that are just teaching for information, but I want group leaders teaching for transformation. I think that's where uh, we do our people a great service. That's so good. I, I love how you start again with the foundation of the word and then you kind of the next concentric circle are these are these uh, relationships, right? Inviting people, forming relationships, and then it is a giving of yourself to those relationships through service. So I love that. Let me come back yeah. to balance. Um, I meant to ask this earlier, actually, but I, I really sense a theme from... Uh, from you and from the, the material that I've reviewed on the book of encouraging balance in the methods used to disciple. And, you know, I guess my natural assumption as, as sort of a layman is that the reason you would do that would be to inject constantly fresh energy into the spiritual growth. But talk to us a little bit more about balance. Why is that impro- uh, so important? Well, I think it's important because uh, if we're not balanced as a group, um, and if we're not, you know, d- discovering and and doing those uh, eight different signposts of discipleship, uh, we will be out of balance and out of whack, you know. And uh, uh, if you've ever driven a car with a tire that's out of round, that's pretty annoying, you know. It's dangerous too. And so uh, I want to make sure that uh, the things that my group is doing and the things that I'm doing are balanced, and so that there is a a healthy diet of different things that I know the research says, I know the word says, you know, these are good for us as disciples. You mentioned earlier, you know, uh, you know, how how do some of these things apply? Well, let me, let me give you a quick one here. Uh, Under the letter I inviting people to become disciples. That's the second big thing that groups have to do. I don't find a lot of groups doing that, but in that section of the book, I ask a few questions and then for folks like you that are lay, lay layman, uh, one of the questions that we ask are, are, are prayers in our groups focused on the lost? I find that they're usually not. Uh, we focus on the needs of our own people. That's not bad, but I think a group really does itself well to have an outward view and to constantly be thinking, who do we know in our families? Who is in our neighborhood or our workplace that is far from God, not connected to a church or to a group? We need to pray for those, but also in that same section then, I ask another question, are we eating, are our group members, just like you, are we eating with sinners and tax collectors? You know, Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 9 got pretty harangued for that, and the Pharisees just, you know, beat him up verbally over it and and his disciples, and he said, look, I've come not for the healthy, but for the sick, and also I, I find that so many of us in our groups, you know, we have great relationships with those in our groups, and that's great. It's wonderful. But not so that to the point that we exclude or don't have margin in our calendars for people that we are trying to build bridges to, to have those gospel conversations, to pray for them, to invite them to our groups. Does that make sense too? Totally does. And once again, you are reaffirming um, one of the conversations we had last hour about the importance of reaching out to Jesus followers that might see the world a little bit differently than us. So really appreciate that. Mm. Uh, Ken, we're going to take one more break. uh, Back with one more segment after this. I want to ask you actually about tying this conversation to the one we had last hour about the Holy Spirit. We'll do that 
on the other side of the break. Uh, my guest is Ken Braddy. He is the author of Breakthrough, Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success. And I am Than Bennett sitting in for Bill. And we'll be back with more right after this. Receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic. Sign up for this first of the day email at myfaithradio.com. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's Matthew 28, 19. I'm Than Bennett sitting in for Bill Arnold, and we talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit last hour. We are now talking about effective discipleship, how to answer this call to make disciples and how to measure if our discipleship efforts are working, how to uh, pursue our own discipleship through the church and also on our own. And we're talking about all of that with Ken Braddy. He's the author of the book Breakthrough, Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success. So Ken, it was It was one of the very last things that Jesus said while he was on earth. He said, go and make disciples, and I will ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to help you. And so to me, that communicates that discipleship, the topic of this book, discipleship, is right at the center of God's heart. Speak to that if you would. Well, there is absolutely no doubt that uh, it is at at God's heart, and uh, you know I think that your listeners and I think you and I would say that if you don't have uh, the Holy Spirit empowering your life, uh, it's going to be a pretty rough life. Uh, you'll get some things done and accomplished uh, in the church and for the Lord, but uh, that's exhausting, you know. And so, uh, who would want to to minister and to serve? from a position where you're doing it, you know, in your own strength, uh, that's just a recipe, uh, for disaster. And so, uh, when it comes to, you know, discipling, uh, men and women, I, I think that, uh, you're, you're hitting on something that we don't talk about a lot. Uh, unfortunately the Holy spirit, that third person of the Godhead, uh, tends not to get as much press as God, the father or God, the son, and uh, they are, you know, co-equal. And so uh, I think this is a wonderful thing that you've done to, to talk about that and, and to raise that up. And, uh, and anybody that's in ministry for the long haul learns to, to absolutely, you know, lead from a posture um, of dependency. And I think that the group leaders uh, that are out there and pastors that are also listening Probably they already know that, but it's always a good reminder uh, to just remember to stay grounded and connected uh, through uh, the Holy Spirit and let him fuel and empower your ministry. I know folks uh, personally that uh, are no longer pastoring. It feels like the older I get, the more friends in ministry uh, have stepped out, some uh, because they've tripped up and uh, and have not followed the Holy Spirit and it's cost them their ministry. And we just hate to see it when that happens. Yeah, so true. And I think when we are when we are not operating uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're laying down the most effective tool, the advocate that was sent yes. uh, yeah. for us. So I so appreciate that. Let me ask you this. Um, you call this a scorecard. You call it a scorecard, you know, in the title of the book. And mm-hmm. I, I love scorecards, Ken. I'm a baseball guy. Okay. Yeah. So I like 
I'm the guy that goes to the game and I actually like keeping a scorecard. So, so, so take this with a grain of salt because I think scorecard is a positive thing. Right. But I know for some, right. Some could, could think it's like a, like a grading, right. Or, or, you know, maybe we're going to come up short. Talk to me about how the scorecard is a tool. This is meant to be a tool to help ministries be effective. Explain that just a little bit. Absolutely. Let me unpack that real quick for you. So I'm a golfer and, uh, and I will take my golf scorecard and, uh, and I will keep my own score uh, as I'm golfing with guys, because, uh, not only do I keep track of the score, but I also keep track of things like, you know, the fairways, how many is, you know, did I hit as a percentage, how many greens that I hit in regulation, how many putts did I make per round, how many sand saves that I have, because just like in group ministry, you know, there's more in group ministry than just attendance and numbers that kind of works the same way in golf. There's more than just that final score. And so the book is actually built on a golf motif. And I mentioned that, you know, early on in the book. And so as you go through these four different, uh, you know, new scorecard measurements, learning and obeying God's word, inviting people to become disciples, forming deeper relationships and engaging in acts of service. Those are the four big buckets and the four big sections of the book. However, every section's got four chapters and the chapters are all questions, questions in the title that roll up to that task. Uh, that's, you know, part of that uh, section of the book. And so basically you've got 16 different questions to answer about group ministry and the overall health. And so uh, what I wanted to do is this, you know, uh, whenever I finished a round of golf and I kept my scorecards over time, I could easily tell pretty quickly where my golf game was the weakest. So let's just say it was my irons, you know? And so if I go to the driving range to go practice, I'm probably not going to take out my putter or my driver because I don't really have an issue there. My issue is with my irons. It's the same thing, same concept in the book, then. If a person can evaluate these four big bucket items that groups must do and then answer those 16 diagnostic questions that are actually the chapters of these books, uh, chapters of the cha- uh, titles of the chapters, they can actually take a look and there's a scorecard for them in the book to do this. So they don't have to make one up but they would be able to see quickly which one of those four big buckets their group or themselves they're they're not doing it as good as they could and so what do they want to do with that that's where they want to go apply practice that's where they want to go apply energy and again just a quick uh, 10 second example here most of our groups probably don't do as much as they could in the area of inviting people to become disciples and so for a lot of groups, as they've gone through the book, that's where the Lord has led them to be more evangelistic, more outward focused. They're focusing on that because they may say, hey, look, we're doing a pretty good job learning and obeying his word and building relationships, but we're going to start our process of improving ourselves and our Bible study groups in that particular section, you know, with inviting people to become disciples. So it's just, it's an evaluative tool. It's a diagnostic tool. And it just tells you where to go start eating the elephant, honestly, where to take that first bite. Yeah. So good. I think it would be so effective, so useful. And I, I think that can, even though I'm a terrible golfer, I'm a baseball player, so I've got a baseball swing (laughs) and it just just doesn't translate very well, but I I do love it. Uh, Let let me ask you this. I want to ask about pursuing discipleship. Um, I wrote a book that was rooted in Jeremiah 29, 13, which says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with Mm. all your 
heart. And uh, that just comes to mind when I think about this conversation, because, Ken, we've talked about this a lot, but we serve a God who desires to be known, and he promises that we will find him if we seek him, but he also desires to be sought out, to be pursued. And so I think that includes being intentional about seeking out discipleship. We should be looking for it. We should be evaluating whether or not what we're getting is working and then adjusting what doesn't work. And I think your book can help with that. But but say a word, if you would, we just got a couple of minutes left about the, the, the relationship of seeking God with our whole heart and being truly open to discipleship that flows out of that pursuit. Yeah, there's there's the big challenge for most believers right there. Um, there are some of us that uh, are not outgoing. You know, we're a little more uh, introspective and introverted and uh, putting yourself out there uh, and doing life with a a smaller set of people than might even be in your Bible study group. Uh, is sometimes kind of daunting, you know, and uh, intimidating even. Our church is making a big uh, effort right now to encourage people to become involved in, you know, what we're calling a, a D group ministry. And it's just really three or four same sex people that are coming together to memorize scripture, read through the Bible, uh, to do some projects together uh, in the community and to just share life together. And, uh, and is a small percentage of our church is doing it, but, but we're very hopeful that as we try to change the culture of our church, uh, that that's going to catch on and that people are going to understand that, uh, that they have to be responsible as a believer for taking that next step. And for most of us, you know, we're in a worship service. Most of us are probably in a Bible study group. Then I think that this is one of the things that's holding our churches back from becoming all that we can be in Christ. And that is that we're just not coming together in those even smaller groups. Call them, I call them micro groups in the book. You can call them a D group, a discipleship group, but it's that, you know, it's that more intimate uh, relationship where you're doing almost like, you know, imitation based discipleship. And you have those people that have that Hesed type love for you, that unconditional love the old Testament talks about. I think it's one of the greatest things that our people could do is to just put themselves out there, make that effort, take that first step, ask the pastor of the church or somebody on staff to help me connect with other people that are like-minded and want that, and then find that three or four person group and then just go, just make it part of who you are, make it part of your schedule, make it part of, uh, of who you are as a growing disciple. Ken, we are out of time, but you have done us a great service. This is a tremendous tool for the church, a tremendous tool for all of us. I'm grateful for you writing it, and I'm grateful for you spending some time with us today. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. As Ken Braddy, the book is Breakthrough, Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success. I encourage you to pick it up, and I just want to condense the last two hours for you. We were sent the Holy Spirit from God, and what is in that Spirit? It's it's not fear. We see this in 2 Timothy uh, 1.7. The Spirit of God is not fear. He has not given us that, but He has given us power, love, and a sound mind, and part of that is seeking out discipleship. I encourage you to do that today, and it begins with daily time in the Scripture. I'm Than Bennett, in for Bill Arnold today, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.